Thank you. Good morning. Um, some of you may remember that Steve and Viv returned from their holiday in July from sun-kissed Turkey to share their experience of having visited Ephesus, an ancient city that's mentioned in the New Testament quite a lot. Um, what made a deep impression on them was the area of the city set apart for slavery, and uh, Steve shared his response to that with us on their return, which you can listen to on the podcast back in July um, if you want to hear more about that. I'm picking up the baton from that, if you like. This Sunday, many churches are taking part in a global day of worship and action to end human trafficking and modern slavery in an initiative called Freedom Sunday. Modern slavery is an umbrella term that I'm going to use to cover um, both slavery and trafficking. It's the exploitation of men, women and children for financial gain. It's the world's fastest growing crime. It's estimated to involve over 40 million men, women and children around the world today. That's more than five times the population of London. Some estimate it to actually um, consist of more than 45 million, which would be more than the population of the entire country of Spain. Some of the things I'm going to share this morning I realise might be more sensitive for some of you, so I want to give a bit of a trigger warning to that, but I'm veering towards not trying to be explicit about this. This is not about me being scandalous or uh, salacious in any way. Um, there is a video I'm going to show a little bit later, which um, I feel is entirely appropriate for this morning, but again, just to put you on notice of that. Um, the number of individuals in slavery at this time is more than it was during what we know of the slave trade back in the 17th and 18th century. Freedom Sunday is a day for global faith communities to raise awareness and stand together to take action and put an end to this horrendous crime. And I'm really here to talk this morning about why that should matter to us. Why should that matter to you? Why on earth would that be something that we would talk about in church on a Sunday morning? We just have to look at the world that we live in and see how desperately broken it is. We may not be aware of these figures, but you don't have to scrape very deeply below the surface to see the things that we'll do to each other. Some of you will have been deeply affected by some of the headlines that you will have seen this morning. Uh, not this morning, this week. And um, as we all yearn for significance and approval and belonging, for identity and purpose, it's it's shocking the things that we will do to each other as we clamber over each other to try and achieve that. I think it will always sound a bit naive and simplistic to say that we can truly find our souls longing met in the God of the Bible. That's never with the wave of a magic wand, but it is with our surrender towards him. Because our engagement, once we become conscious of and engage with his story, we find that our stories take on a different perspective and that the brokenness so evident all around us is part of a deeper problem. That despite all of our resources, despite all the technology that we have available to us today, our disposal, our world is, and perhaps increasingly, is broken. And as a wise man once said, hurt people hurt people. However, our inability to fix ourselves doesn't seem to disqualify us from what God is doing and for what he has in store. In his story, we discover that our need for a rescuer has been anticipated and provided for. And not only that, but even in our brokenness, we get to participate in a rescue mission that is far greater than any one of us could ever imagined. 
our general response to the suggestion that there is a God out there that's aware of this kind of brokenness is often to imagine that he's either all-powerful, he can do anything he likes, but he stands at a distance, he set the clock running, and he doesn't care. Or it might be that he's a loving God. He, uh, you know, he cries over the broken, he weeps for the poor, but that somehow his hands are tied due to some greater cosmic force, and that keeps him from intervening. But on closer investigation, it would suggest that there is a creator with limitless possibility and a deep, unconditional passion to love, to be known and to love and to be made known to those who are the furthest away from ever believing that this could be possible for them. So God embarks on a journey. We read this story throughout the Old Testament. It's the story of a prodigal son, but on a global scale. And it involves the most unlikeliest of characters. God generally seems to choose the unreliable. He chooses the ill-equipped. He chooses the doubting and the outcast. He chooses those like Moses who were angry enough to kill but too afraid to speak up. These men and women are his rescuers for a people who are not necessarily willing to be rescued. But God is not put off by that. God is never put off by our lack of interest or our resistance to change. Whatever the problem, whatever the circumstance you find yourself in this morning, whatever your sin, whatever damage has been done to you, he only has one response. And that's for you to come. For you to come to him. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. Not rest like the world offers. Not escape through a box set, as lovely as that is, or a quick nap, or that holiday in lovely Turkey. But there's a rest that he has for every one of us that challenges you to let go of whatever it is that's keeping you afloat right now. A rest that will satisfy your deepest need. A rest that rescues and repairs. It's not a passive thing, this rest that he offers you. A rest that restores, that provides peace and hope and joy beyond your understanding. And in the midst of the worst kind of circumstances that we're going to think about this morning, there is a rest, there's a peace that we call shalom. I love this word. I use it whenever I can. Shalom is the opposite of brokenness. It might be described as flourishing. It might be described as rightness, as fullness of life. Not just the absence of war, but definitely that. An absence of peace, an absence of restlessness, of insecurity, self-doubt and pride. This shalom offers you a deep letting go of everything that you're relying on to prop you up and an even deeper surrender to the God that you cannot see but that you cannot deny, who's exchanged our pathetic attempts at rescue for his own. And then before we even try to make this about us, this shalom is for the world. This shalom is for all people in every place and every season. He says, go into all the world. And he says, seek the welfare of the city. Jesus came not as an afterthought, not as an emergency backup plan. He is uh, God's plan B. But that our world might see and experience what love looks like, what this shalom looks like, that we might see that that Old Testament God is our suffering servant, New Testament King, that he is one and the same, and that his mission has always been the same. If you've been around this church for any length of time, you'll hear us use this phrase about extending the kingdom. His intention, his mission, his purpose has always been to see his kingdom extended on earth. 
because that's where this shalom is. That's where the opposite of brokenness is. His kingdom is a place of justice and mercy for everyone, every one of us, where all things are made new. His desire has always been that every person would know what it's like to live a deeply fulfilling relationship with their creator, to find our identity deeply rooted and defined by him because his spirit, the spirit of God, is alive in us. His spirit sustains us and equips us and empowers us and enables us to join him. We get to join in in this eternal purpose of extending his kingdom and sharing this good news for everyone. You can barely go two chapters in the Old Testament without seeing God's mercy for the poor. Whole chapters are written on how to provide for the widow and the orphan and the outcast and the foreigner. But God's judgment is reserved for those he's already called to relationship with him to care for those around them, to live in right relationship with one another. And instead, so often, he sees inequality and oppression and corruption and neglect and abuse. I don't know about you, but when I see these things in the world, I'm tempted to move on really quickly. I can feel helpless and overwhelmed. I can feel guilty that I have what others don't. I can feel distant. Those things are far off. They have nothing to do with me. I can feel detached from other people's suffering. But God is close to the brokenhearted. And that's where he calls us to be. He has always been there for the poor. He has always been there whether we like it or not. And that's our calling too. That's what he calls us into. The people of God were invited into blessing, this sense of happiness that's not dependent on what we have or don't have, that's not dependent on what we do or don't do. This shalom, we're invited into this. It's not an end in itself. We get to give. We receive what we have so that we can give it away. We're called to partner with God in being good news to the poor, to bring freedom to those who are captive, literally and metaphorically to be peacemakers and maintainers, as Anna shared with us the other week. It's our role, it's our job, it's our privilege to show and tell everyone that the kingdom of God is here. In the message in John um, 1, 14, he puts it like this. Sorry. Uh, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love it the way uh, Steve puts it about we've become Jesus' hands and feet. For an anti-slavery organization like International Justice Mission, their move into the neighborhood is in response to desperate, urgent need. But it involves the slow work of training an often corrupt and reluctant police force, the gathering of evidence and undercover investigations that can establish whether a rescue is possible and whether that conviction can be made and held. They conduct rescues and rehabilitation for modern-day slaves on a frustratingly slow but persistent global scale. I wanted to share with you a story about last month which saw two boys rescued who'd been victims of trafficking in the fishing industry on Lake Volta in Ghana. This rescue followed the August arrest of the man who transported and sold the boys to a fisherman. The Ghanaian Anti-Human Trafficking Unit arrested, charged, and had bail refused for both the trafficker and the boatmaster who had used the boys for slave labor. There are thousands of these boys across this lake. IJM Ghana has supported police to rescue 100 children so far in 2017. That's something to celebrate. 
as something fantastic, that's something amazing, because obviously each one of those represents a child's life. In addition to these two boys, IJM provided support for an operation in July which saw 43 children rescued and brought to safety in one go. IJM work on the basis that as rescue and arrest operations lead to convictions, traffickers who had formerly thought nothing of abusing children for profit will begin to realise that it is just not worth the risk. Having rescued 1,275 women and children from sex trafficking in the Philippines, studies have shown that the number of minors available for purchase on streets and in bars, once notorious for sex trafficking, have plummeted by by between 75 and 86% in the cities where IJM has worked. But each of us lives in a neighbourhood. And what if God has moved into that neighbourhood because you are there? What if you're the flesh and blood? What if you're the hands and feet? The Kluwer Initiative was recently set up by the CVE to help churches detect modern slavery in their communities and help provide victim support. And it's incredible the number of organisations there are around the UK who are really pressing into this and who are focusing on different uh, parts of this. And I'll talk a bit more about a few of them in a minute. This thing called trafficking, as we know, is nothing new. So what does it look like? For some of you, you might be very familiar with it. I'm aware of that. Some of you volunteer with some of these organisations. For others of you, this is not an issue that you know very much about or are particularly comfortable with. But in developing countries, it often looks like children who are sent away to work by their parents or sold by desperately poor parents to provide the income necessary to keep their other children alive for a little bit longer. Sometimes it looks like young men or women trapped in domestic service. They're traveling with their employers to another country, then their passport is taken away. They have no income, they have no other known contact in that country, far from their families, far from anyone who knows them. Trapped, they work long hours in poor conditions, and they're unseen, except by the people that they work for, for better or worse. Whether it's fruit pickers or construction workers, in hotels, in nail salons, in car washes, it's hidden in plain sight. This is as true for us in Clapham North as it is in North Africa. It's in true for us as it is in somewhere like Cambridge, as it is in somewhere like Cambodia. And that's what modern-day slavery looks like. There, um, if you go on the website for the Kluwer Initiative, the previous slide that I showed you, it's got um, some great resources on there to help you spot the signs. And these are some of the things that you can think about. The appearance of someone, it gives you some pointers on there about what you might be looking for, about the kind of accommodation where people are living. Especially in London, you see lots of multi-occupancy uh, residents. Um, people might arrive late at night in a minibus with, no, uh, with the windows blacked out, and they're taken off again first thing in the morning. You never see them at any other time. Uh, you may see um, uh, just the, the minibuses come in early in the morning, late at night. You might see half a dozen, a dozen or so men in and out of the, the van. But you never, again, you know, you know there's dozens of people apparently living in this house, but you never see them. Um, you also travel, again, the, the minibus arriving is a real um, tip-off to that sort of thing. But they've got lots more information on their website. And those seeking help. Um, particularly for those of you on the front line, I think of uh, those in the police force, those perhaps in nursing, even teaching and social work. 
there's the possibility, whilst most of these people are, are held in uh, accommodation or workplaces and they don't have the freedom to leave, some people do have the freedom of leave because the people who, um, who they work for know that they have enough power over them that, that nothing's going to happen, they're not going to go anywhere, they've got no resources. And you may find these people on your doorstep or in front of you seeking help. And sometimes, particularly the women, present as victims of domestic violence. And it's only through further persistence with them and building trust that you begin to find a picture of what's actually going on in their lives. Our God sees and cares about every one of these. As his heart breaks, so should ours. And as we cry out for something to be done, we need to be prepared to be the answer to our own prayers. So what can you do? I think um, awareness is just one of the most important things. As I said, I know that some of you this morning are really engaged with this subject, and others of you, this is not something you've thought very much about at all. But wherever you're at, I think there's something that you can do to engage with this this morning. So if you're not aware of this, I'd encourage you to be engaged. There, um, one of the uh, greatest theologians of the 20th century was asked for advice for preachers and he said the best thing you can do is preach with a bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other and I think it's good advice for all of us that um, as we walk out our faith perhaps particularly in this era of fake news and being able to get our news very narrowly from the voices that we would prefer to receive news from it's really important to have awareness and engagement with the wider world for us, this will just be the first step. It's easy for us to get caught up in our own worlds. It's easy for us to get caught up in the Christian bubble and be more aware of what's happening with a, a distant megachurch's pastor than we are of what's happening in somewhere like Syria or Yemen, let alone what's happening on our doorsteps. Those places might be much less relatable, but they're the kind of places where trafficking begins, where people are desperate and displaced and where predators prey on the most vulnerable. So if you know nothing about this issue, then I encourage you to learn what you can. This week will, be, will mark Anti-Slavery Day on Wednesday the 18th of October. Um, hopefully in social media, in the news, perhaps in your workplaces, uh, this will come up. And if it doesn't, why don't you start the conversation? Um, this is a real opportunity to listen out for, to talk about, to ask questions, to find out more. Wednesday the 18th of October. Make yourself aware of what's going on in your neighborhood. Keep your eyes open. Pray for the people that you see. Pray for the businesses that open in your street and the ones that stand empty. Ask God how you can be good news in the place where you live. Seek the welfare of your part of the city. And if your heart is really stirring for the first time, I know some of you might be reeling slightly, and you just don't know what this is supposed to look like for you. Can I recommend this book? Uh, it's called The Justice Calling, and it is a really fantastic um, discussion of all of the issues surrounding this and why, why this matters, why this does matter to us, why it matters to God, why this is as much a part of our Christian walk as anything else might be. It might put a fire in your belly, so be prepared for that. Beyond awareness is engagement with the issues, being willing to change your behavior or make a sacrifice that just might make a difference. One of the simplest but most powerful things you can do is consider how you spend your money. Many of us are unaware that our clothes, our chocolate, our coffee, our tea, our sugar, our flowers, our fish that we eat, not that we have in our tanks, 
um, may very likely come from exploited labor sources. Um, so what more can you do to learn about those things? Because unfortunately, you can't plead ignorance these days. This week, the anti-slavery organization, Unseen, which began in a vineyard church, very much like this one, after a mission trip where they went to the Ukraine and were working in some children's homes. And when they asked what would happen to the children when they left the homes, they were told that they would most likely be sold into slavery. They started the, um, the ch charity out of, off the back of their church. And it's now, I, if you haven't come across it, as you get involved with this issue, I'd be really surprised. Uh, they work with the National Crime Agency. Um, particularly this week, they're working with this campaign. Um, just being aware that particularly nail salons in, in London but across the country, um, often Vietnamese nationals are at risk. They've been brought to the UK illegally and they're traded as a commodity to support organised crime. I think it, it's really important that we do things, whether they're big or small. And um, we're all different. We've all got different skills. We've all got different levels of time and energy and money. But there is something that we can do. So I'd encourage you to join uh, in raising awareness about this issue. Share it with your friends. I'd encourage you to use your voice. The Old Testament talks a lot about speaking up for the voiceless. Um, the, the obvious challenge with people um, held in slavery is they have no voice. They have absolutely no voice. No one sees them. No one knows that they're there. So could you be a voice? At the back, behind the lovely Phil and Jen, you'll find that Rachel has um, set out a whole bunch of resources. Where are you, Rachel? Could you just stand up and wave? Um, Rachel is passionate about this issue and she knows a whole bunch of stuff about what's happening in the UK right now to do with the drafting of um, new legislation to help uh, slavery victims in aftercare and um, she's got some great resources at the back. Again, what is it that you can do? Maybe it's money, maybe it's time, maybe it's energy. Just engaging with some of these things for the first time might be a really um, powerful thing for you to do. Our faith communities can be places of refuge and safety. Again, as I was saying, some of, the, some of you that work on the front line, you may come in contact with people. I know that organizations like Unseen, some of the social service organizations, will educate their employees on what are the signs of slavery, what are the signs of trafficking, how can I, how can I identify these individuals at an early stage. And even as we show up in this community week in and week out with Job Club, with Healing on the Streets, as we present ourselves as a place of refuge, as a place of safety, as a place of non-judgment, week in and week out, may we be known in this community as somewhere to flee to and not from. And that as people come in, you know, it may be one person in, in 10 years, uh, or however long it is, but that it's going to mean all the difference to that one person. So you can provide time, energy and money to an organization that already exists. Um, one of the things, obviously, that you can do, that we can all do, is pray. Um, the fantastic thing about some of these organizations, some which are Christian and some which aren't, um, what I love about some of them is that they put um, prayer um, in partnership with action. They're not one, but both. And I wanted to share a short video with you from uh, IJM. They have a fantastic prayer event coming up. Um, I wasn't planning on doing this, but let's just stand up for a minute. Let's just pray. Uh, 
I don't know what to say. I love the worship songs that we sang this morning and um, just that sense of the reckless love of God and that this matters to God, that he's passionate about this and that God sees everyone, every man, every woman, every child in slavery this morning. Every day he sees them, but he sees them right now. And Lord, we just, we add our prayers to the prayers of those around the country this morning. We add our prayers, Lord, to those who are in need, who are crying out for help right now. And we want to declare, Lord, that you are coming. You are coming. You are coming, Lord. Would you come through us? Would you come through our resources? Would you come through our hearts? Would you come through our desire? Would you come through what it is that we can offer? Would you speak to us this morning about what that is, what we can do? Amen. You're going to sit down again. <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't planning on that. Um, I'm not finding this very easy. Um, so, what can we do? We can be aware. We can be engaged. We can be moved. It's difficult not to be moved by that video. Um, but I think um, one of our reasons for talking about this morning, this this morning, um, is that uh, you might remember a couple of weeks ago, um, Steve reminded us that it's an intentional requirement of the early church to remember the poor. And it's about allowing ourselves to be moved. That Jesus talked about being moved with compassion, but it comes from our gut. It's costly, it's messy, and it's inconvenient. Because the poor are not just an issue. Because compassion is not just something that we switch on or off on mornings like this. As I understand it, Steve and Viv are looking for a church that is inclined towards the poor, that prefers the poor. And that means the vulnerable, that means victims of slavery, but it also means the screwed up and the inadequate and the worthless and the voiceless and the empty and the barren and the helpless and the homeless and the awkward. And it means the addict and it means the lonely and it means the damaged and it means the broken. And that's going to require some sacrificial living from you and me. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not naturally inclined towards people like that. Until, of course, I realize that I'm on the list. <laughs> that includes me. That I am anxious and awkward and weary and broken. Because I'm in need of a rescuer. And Jesus came and rescued me. Now, my rescue doesn't feel like I imagine it would feel like for the girls in Vietnamese brothels or boys taken from fishing boats in Ghana or Lithuanian farm workers, strong men who've come over here to work hard in fields in Kent picking fruit and vegetables to send money back to their families and find themselves living a dozen at a time in an unheated, unventilated caravan until the strength is pretty much beaten out of them one way or another. But all I know is that the story of the people of God is one of rescue from slavery. The Exodus is the story of God's people enslaved in a foreign land without voice and without hope until God delivered them. That the language of that rescue fills the pages of the Old Testament and sets the scene for the arrival of a rescuer again. And that rescuer is Jesus. That he came and brought us and offered us deliverance from slavery, from our brokenness, from our sin and our shame. 
once and for all that the rescue that you and I have experienced is not just for us, that we're called to, to receive, to be recipients of rescue and to be rescuers of men and women, that our world is broken. I mean, you know, it really makes you want to swear. Our world is broken. <laughs> that seems like a small thing, but that's a big thing when you've got the mic. <laughs> our world is broken. I mean, you know, who doesn't want to... I'm not... I, I said I wouldn't do that this morning. Um, our world is broken, but God speaks the language of slavery and rescue. And on this day, we get to think about that in a bit more intentionally. But this is for us to think about every day. Because it matters to God, it should matter to us that he wants to set slaves free. So can I encourage you to allow your heart to be moved this morning and tomorrow morning and the next morning? Can I encourage you to ask the Lord to break your heart with the things that break his? Can I encourage you to ask him, what's he doing in your neighborhood? What's happening with your neighbors? Where are the poor? And who is in need of rescue? Not because you're some Messiah, not because you've got some saviour complex. We're not here to save the poor, you and I. We're here to serve the poor. But don't be overwhelmed by this either, which I understand is, is a fair chance this morning. Because God has gone ahead of you, and this idea was his first. He is the God who rescues, and he is the God who saves. His idea was that you should experience his rescue first, and then that you should become part of his rescue plan for others. Can I ask you to stand again? Um, I had something I wanted to read this morning. It's from um, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, some of whom you would have been familiar with. He was uh, uh, very much a part of the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. He knows a thing or two about suffering. He knows a thing or two about injustice and uh, what it takes to see justice worked out, that justice is not about vengeance and it's not about revenge. Uh, but he knows about what it is to feel the pain and to work through it. And uh, I'm just going to invite the bands to come up, back up. And we're going to pray for a few people in a minute. Um, but I just wanted to share with, this with you as we end. He says, dear child of God, I write these words because we all experience sadness. We all come at times to despair. And we all lose hope that the suffering in our lives and in the world will ever end. I want to share with you my faith and my understanding that this suffering can be transformed and redeemed. There is no such thing as a totally hopeless case. Our God is an expert at dealing with chaos, with brokenness, and with the worst that we can imagine. God created order out of disorder, cosmos out of chaos, and God can do so always, can do so now in our personal lives and in our lives as nations globally. Indeed, God is transforming the world now through us because God loves us. I think we'll just take a moment because I've said a lot of stuff and it might be a good idea to just have a think. Have a think about what the Lord's saying to you this morning. <laughs>